morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us today. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you together in Scripture. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team. And uh, we're going to read in from Hebrews chapter 13, if you'll grab your Bible, please. It's about this far through the Scriptures. Welcome to everybody here in the West, to everybody in the East Auditorium as well, to our friends down in Lovington and everybody who's participating online. Uh, online, if you need to grab a Bible, there's a, um, a tab on the screen there that points, will point you to Hebrews 13. In the uh, auditoriums, maybe you can grab it in from a Bible in front of you or on a, your smartphone, or maybe you've got your Bible with you. As we start today, I'd like to, um, well, well, something that I've followed a little, I follow the strangest things. I learn these things and I go, what's with that? So um, let me tell you what's going on. Maybe you are aware that, the, that uh, the Netherlands, sometimes known as Holland, is a coastal nation in Northern Europe. And uh, it's up against the sea, and much of the land is below sea levels. And so consequently, the Dutch have learned all sorts of techniques for pushing back the seawater. They have canals that run throughout the country. They have berms. They have dikes. They have these huge pumps that keep pushing the seawater away. And the result is, with all those canals running through the country, there's all kinds of sports that are connected with the canals. Like in the, in the winter, there you can ice skate for miles and, you know, just one canal after another. Or in the summer, there's another event that's called fuel yipping. Isn't that a lovely name, fuel yipping? It is canal jumping. It, it, it used to be, um, since they've had the canals there for centuries, it used to be a, a way for farmers to get across the canals without having to go all, you know, they could take care of all their property. But uh, beginning in 1771, uh, almost 250 years ago now, they, um, they made it a sport. And so here's what happens. The sport uh, folk, there are professionals who do this. You can learn it from a little kid. There are these long poles, and you run towards the pole. The poles can only be anywhere from 26 to 43 feet tall. And the goal is to climb to the top of the pole and grab, if you can grab the pole before you land on the other side without breaking your ankle... You can be the winner. Now, it's an interesting sport that you're trying to balance the pole. Oh, for crying out. Crazy, right? It requires all kinds of athleticism and daring and um, a skill set, I suppose. Uh, it's something beyond what I could do. I know that for sure. Anybody here up for fuel yipping? I saw videos of them teaching little children, six, seven years old, how to do this. So it's like we teach our kids football and baseball. They teach fuel yipping. Now, it, it would, it's, I assume it's fun, but if you're a little, if you, you have some athleticism and some daring, but you don't have the accompanying skill set, you can imagine how this, for example, what, what if you're a young Dutchman and you're out on the family, family farm and you decide, we're going to do a little fuel yipping for fun. You need somebody to hold the pole you'd need a long run up to the pole, and then you really want firm footing. Because if there's... <laughs> if there's no firm footing, <sighs> the best laid plans run awry, right? <laughs> Don't you just hate that? You've got something you're planning to do, and you're going to rely on somebody else, and then it's going to come together, and you're running with all your might, and at the last minute, the footing, last minute, the footing drops out from underneath you. You've got plans and expectations, and then their fulfillment sometimes doesn't match up, does it? What do you do? 
What do you do when you've got this disparity in life? Plans, hopes, and this is how it plays out. Well, that's our topic today as we close out this walk through Hebrews. Throughout the past seven weekends, we've learned of the implications of this, this letter sent to Jewish Christians 30 to 35 years after Jesus' earthly ministry. Perhaps you've been following along not only with our sermons, but also our study guides. There's a study guide available today again at the welcome desk, or you can um, pick it up through our texting service. If you're not part of that, you can get it on your phone later this afternoon if you'll text the words First Decatur, F-I-R-S-T Decatur to 24587. You'll be able to get it that way. And um, you'll be able to have a little more reflection on some of the things we're going to talk about today as we close out our discussion of Hebrews 13. What we're going to do to understand this last chapter of the book is I'm going to read with you the conclusion, and then we'll work backwards from there. Because if you can see the conclusion where the guy's going, it makes it easy to understand uh, what he's got to say before that. So read with me beginning in verse 18. We don't know who the writer is. We have reason to believe he's writing from Rome. And he says, pray for us. We are sure that you, we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. I'd really like to come visit you. So pray to that effect. And based on all of that and everything I've put together in this long letter, here's my conclusion. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, is who, 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 is, who, who is our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. May that God equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may God work in us to what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And what you have right there in that very brief statement is a compilation of the book's whole fo focus. You may, you may recall that we started some seven weeks ago now indicating that the readers of this letter were facing some very dangerous times. And their best laid plans for serving Jesus had had gone crazy. I mean, they'd assumed, they'd assumed that, they, man, we're, we're going to serve Jesus in peace and harmony. It's 30 years after Jesus has died and gone to heaven, rose again, gone to heaven. But it's not turned out that way. Their expectations versus how it's played out, it's not right. Here, here's the deal. They're Jewish people afraid for their lives from two sources. First of all, from fellow Jews. See, 35 years after Jesus' death, the ancient Jewish leaders still couldn't account for the way in which this, what they assume, dead man, how his popularity continues to grow. This business called Christianity is growing in synagogue after synagogue across the whole Mediterranean. And these Jewish Christians now, because of that growing popularity of Christianity, they face the same potential outcome that Jesus faced at the hands of the Jewish leaders. They could be executed by their own nation. And the charge? Apostasy. They believed, as we did, but the Jewish leaders did not, they believed that Jesus was their Messiah. So they could catch it from the Jews. But beyond that, the occupying Roman army was a problem as well. See, Rome was looking for a way to... Um, they were, Nero was using this, the, the Christians as a scapegoat for the way in which the Roman, Roman Empire was kind of drawing to a close. And so Nero said, well, it's the Christian's fault. And so these people are living in the days when if you're a Christian, you could get fed to the lions in the Colosseum. And so these readers of this letter called Hebrews, they have cause for distress from both sides, their fellow countrymen 
and the Roman occupying army. And in the midst of that, they read this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he do what? May God equip you with everything good for doing his will. His will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, the writer is saying, hey guys, despite the struggle you face, despite the moments of fear, despite the days of terror, despite the hours of despair, despite the never-ending worry that you might die at any moment, I pray you'll experience God's peace. And why would I pray that? Well, he says, because Jesus Christ, this Jesus who throughout the book he said is a better priest, a better maker of a better tabernacle, a better life example, and a better mediator, all the things we've examined in the last few weeks. I, I, there's somebody watching over you, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is watching over you as the great shepherd of your life and soul. And so I would say to that effect, he's saying, um, hey, may peace be, be with you. When it comes to what you need, He'll equip you with everything that you need for the days ahead, all to his glory. Now, the readers have just, are reading this and they're going, um, how? But before they get to this description of Jesus as the great shepherd caring for them, the writer in Hebrews 13 sort of has a quick list of this and that sort of stuff. If you, I want you to glance through the chapter with me if you'll get, look back to verse 1. Because what you're going to see is... He's, he's gone into great detail up until chapter 13 about this and that. And then he gets to chapter 13, and I'm wondering, this is, I have no way to prove this, I'm wondering if he's run out of papyrus. And I'd like to talk to you about a lot of things, but I've only got a half a sheet left. I've only got a sheet, half a sheet of paper left. And um, so I'm going to just blast off some things that you need to be aware of. And if we were to unpack them here, we'd take a whole sermon on each of them. But he, he, he's, he's got all these, you know, offhanded comments, things like verse 1, love each other. Well, why would he say that? Because they're a congregation that's in struggle. They have, I mean, can you imagine? This is not them trying to decide what color the carpet's going to be. This is trying to figure out how are we going to respond to the Romans? How are we going to respond to the Jewish authorities? You can imagine that if we do this wrong, or some of us might die, that's probably, there's probably some heated arguments in that, right? Don't you think? And he says, love each other. Verse 2, choose hospitality. You might up with an angel in your home. Yesterday when we had, you know, I don't know how many people we had, lots and lots of families here. And I don't know what the count of numbers of people were. Close to a thousand, I bet. We, we said, we're going to be hospitable. I don't know, maybe we had an angel here as well. That'd be cool. There's a comment in verse 4. It says are you, about those of us who might be married. He says, protect your marriage. Verse 5, don't be greedy. Right? And let's just go. I mean, there's all these things on this list. Number seven, verse seven is one I really like. It says, Treat your leaders with kindness. I should preach on that, I think. <laughs> verse number eight, Jesus never changes. The way he was in the past before creation is the way he is today, and that's the way he will be in the future. Verse nine, don't ascribe to crazy doctrines. Again, the list just keeps coming at us. And all the things that people are going to tell you, remember grace. Get grace out in front of the whole thing. Or verse 16, a lesson not just for anybody who's in kindergarten, but share. I mean, these people are in struggle, and you're thinking they'd be trying to go like this and hold everything they've got in case they need to bribe somebody in the days ahead. But no, share. And based on all of those things, the guy says, well, may the God of peace watch over you through the work of the great shepherd. Okay, 
You know, I suspect you're familiar with the image of Jesus as the shepherd of our souls. It's, it's mentioned a lot throughout scripture. There's a well-known Psalm that speaks of our great shepherd's ability to care for us. Perhaps you're aware of it, Psalm 23. The first portion explains how Jesus provides shepherding care to his people. It reads this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. It's lovely, isn't it? That this shepherd is watching over us. But do we really know what that means? Do we really know what it means when he says, I lack nothing or he restores my soul? What's that? I'm glad Jesus restores my soul, but how and what does it mean? Well, to fully understand that, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 20 that's probably more than seven to 800 years before Hebrews chapter 13. Hezekiah, if you look in 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah was the king of the nation of Israel. And throughout his life, he was a man who had followed God. He's not an older man, but he's, I mean, he's, well, he's kind of getting there. He's not elderly, but certainly past, well, can we say middle age, 40 years old is in the rearview mirror. He, he, he's young at heart, 61 years old. <laughs> not elderly, but not a fuel jumper, a fuel yipping person anymore on a 43-foot-long pole, if you know what I mean. And, and Hezekiah is a good guy, loved, loved God, and he gets a boil on his skin and doesn't really pay much attention to it. And with our 21st century medical knowledge, in, in retrospect, it was probably a skin cancer of some sort. And it began to spread. And it was obvious that the infection was going to kill him. And so a prophet comes to Hezekiah and says, get your house in order. Your death is coming soon. Your best laid plans, the things that you'd planned to do when you were 75, they're no longer in play. Hezekiah is stunned. That night he goes to bed and it says he lays on his side and he faces the wall. And he says, God, I've proven faithful to you all my life and I, I'm not ready. There are things I still want to do. And God says, I'm going to heal you and give you an additional 15 years. And to prove that this was true, the prophet says to him, well, you're going to get a sign from heaven. I want you to go to the temple and watch the sundial. And one of the sundials that they had in the temple in Jerusalem was the way they watched him way, the way in which the shadow uh, moved down a set of stairs. And based on where the, stair, where the shadow was, they knew what time of the day it was. And they were used to seeing the sundial or the shadow move in the same direction every day. It would come down, and, then it would dis and they knew it was, you know, whatever the time was. And God says to Hezekiah, to prove that I'm going to give you some more time, to prove that I'm going to give you 15 more years, go watch that shadow, and you're going to see it go backwards. Something it's never done before. The shadow is going to go backwards. And that shadow going backwards in Hebrew, the word we, re we read in, in 2 Kings chapter 20, it goes backwards. But the word is the same Hebrew word as the word we see in Psalm 23 for restored. So you could say that the shadow is going backwards. The shadow is being restored. He restores my soul. I get to go back. That's what happened. Now, it doesn't mean that Hezekiah 
would have a portion of his life to live over again. No, he's still 61 years old. He's not suddenly now 15 years younger and now 46. It's not like that. It's not a time machine. But being restored meant that he would have more time added to his life. He received an additional 15 years. His life was extended. His time was extended. And friends, I, I, I would say, I have a specific prayer for you right now. As the pastor of this church, for those of you here in the West, to those of you in the West, everyone in Lovington, to those watching online, I have a specific prayer, prayer for you. That as it says in Psalm 23 that the Lord restores your soul, I pray that restoration would come to you. It doesn't mean that the junk of the past has disappeared. It doesn't mean that the mistakes you made in the past are no longer there. That hasn't changed. But the restoration is that there are more things in the front of you. There's now more time to acknowledge God's goodness, to acknowledge God's care, his love, his restoration. And what time or circumstances or just ugliness of other people or maybe even yourself, whatever's been stolen from you can be made right through the new time that God gives you as your soul is restored. God's restoration gives us time to work on the future. See, here's my point. For some time now, you've probably been working on your version of fuel yepin. I love that word, fuel yepin. Canal jumping. It's, it's a project you've had, and there's this body of water. There's this thing you've got to get past. There's this, you know, and, and you've worked on it, and your best laid plans have come to naught. And you might be at the place where, man, life's footing has given, you, given way, and you've just landed in the water. And you've landed in the water, and you're all wet in front of your friends and your family, your church, your co-workers, and it seems like the whole world is looking on. And that canal might be a task or a bad habit, a personality trait. It might even be sin. And it seems too wide to jump. It's too wide to jump because of the embarrassment, the disappointment. Sometimes the embarrassment and the disappointment is public, but sometimes it's only chatted about within the privacy of your own thoughts. But there's a word for it, and you'd say failure. Perhaps you failed as a parent or a spouse, a family member, a professional at your, a job, at your work, a leader, a contributor. Maybe you've just failed simply as a Christian. And you're sort of like the readers of Hebrews. You're getting it from both sides. But hear this. Jesus, your great shepherd, who is fully aware of your needs and concerns and fears, he will do this. Hebrews says, he will equip you with everything good for doing his will. And he will work in us what is pleasing to him to be glory forever and ever. There's good news there. There's restoration there. Here's what I mean. I want you to take a look at some photos. I posted on Facebook this past week with a commentary. The little boy is a fellow of Levi. He's seven years old. And what you see is your dad holding him in the front seat of their vehicle. This is what his mother wrote about that photo. Levi is changing. He's going through a lot of growing and a lot of emotions. We picked him up from camp earlier today, and he had a complete meltdown. He was exhausted, screaming at us, yelling at us, telling us we don't care, that we don't listen. And my husband did something quite unusual. He pulled over. 
on the side of the road, over our son's screams, he said, be quiet, unbuckle, and get up here. And Levi did. Instead of yelling at him, instead of spanking him, instead of talking to him or anything, daddy held him. And there was kindness, love, and safety. And the anger melted away in daddy's arms. Beloved, all your fears, all your worries, all your failures, all your attempts at fuel yipping, jumping whatever canals are in front of you, leave them with the great shepherd. His arms will wrap around you and your stuff. By the way, getting back to Hebrews 13 about this, I want you to see how you can respond to all this arms wrapping around you and your stuff. One more time, let me remind you of the status of the original readers. They are in desperate straits. They don't know how long they're going to get to live. Any day, either the Jewish authorities or the Roman army could arrive at the doorstep signaling, signaling trouble, persecution, torture, or even death. And in the middle of that, what does the writer say in the middle of the chapter, verse 15? He says, through Jesus, therefore, let us do something that just seems nuts in the midst of chaos. Nuts when it's awful and hard and life is really difficult. Through Jesus, let us continually, not just now and then, but continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that profess, the fruit of lips that declare God's name. And surely one of the readers, one of the people sitting in the congregation as this letter is read, surely someone said quietly, if not out loud, what, in the midst of this mess, you want me to praise God? Are you crazy? That's why Hebrews says it's a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice costs something. It's an intentional decision. See, it's very easy to worship God when all is well. Can I tell you something happened to me this morning? It was just classic. It just, just popped in my brain. Um, I, there were three little guys here early this morning, brothers, all three of them brothers, and I just had a chance to chat with them. And I said, hey, hey, would, would your mom and dad let me buy you a donut? Oh, yeah. So we go up to the, we go up to the cafe, and there are three little guys, right, like this, right? And one, guy, one little guy goes, this is the best day ever. <laughs> yeah, donuts always make a good day, right? And it's easy to praise God on the best day ever. When the donuts of life are coming your way, man, you can praise God. But what if they're all stale and six weeks old, right? That's why it's called a sacrifice. A sacrifice comes, costs something. When the authorities have you by the throat, then that's a great time to praise God. See, it's not easy when the bills add up to more than the income, when the family has gone to pot, when the grief is overtaking, when your job has been downsized, when disease and pain are the last thoughts that you have before you close your eyes at night and the first things that are on your mind when you wake up each day. It's not so easy to praise God then. But the Bible says, offer a sacrifice of praise. 
Maybe you could think of it this way, particularly if you're new to First Christian Church. You wanna know about this guy right here, the guy that they say, well, that's the lead pastor. You wanna know a little bit about, about me, Wayne Ken? If you wanna understand me, then know this beyond anything. I'm a man who says, can I worship God? Now, I, I love to read. I love to study. I love to read the Bible. If you go in my office, there's tons of books. Just ask anybody who's been there. And I, I do lots of work with all of that. And I, I, I love to preach, and I love to do all the things I get to do. But at the core of who I am, I want to be a man of worship. See, some people in some churches think that when the church comes together and they read some scriptures and they pray and they sing, they think that's all a warm-up to the preaching moment. Can I tell you, that's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, here's the honesty. If you look at scripture, you don't see a lot of preaching. You see a lot of worship. It's a little bit scary for somebody like me, but nonetheless, given my profession. But all of the stuff we do in worship is not just a warm-up to the preaching. As a matter of fact, Scripture says we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I'm aware that when I worship, when I lead you in worship, you know what happens then? It's not warming up to hear the Scriptures. No, it is, it's tapping the passcode. It's putting the key, the entrance key into God's presence. I'll enter his thank, courts with thanksgiving. And enter, pardon me, I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. I'll come into the presence of God. The way in which I get into God's presence is through worship. And in God's presence, anything is possible, including the restoration of my soul and my best laid plans that have failed and me with a new way that I'm going to jump the canals in front of me. So even... On days when I feel like it, I can praise God. But even more so on the days when I don't feel like it, that's when I choose to worship God. Because friends, when you worship and I worship, regardless of the circumstances, we do what? We are proclaiming the fruit of our lips that praise his name. See, seven weeks ago, when we started this walk through Hebrews, we said that this book presents Jesus as a better life approach. And we, 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 we learned about all the different titles he has and all the different ways in which Jesus is better. And so to complete our time together and to complete this book today in the context of worship, I want you to listen to something again that you heard a few weeks ago. This Jesus, this God we worship, this is who he is. This is, this is the fruit of lips that profess his name. This Jesus Christ as Tim Callies has declared, is a wonderful and glorious person. To his people, he is altogether lovely. He is our advocate, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega. This Jesus Christ, whom we serve, this Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, who puts his arms around us, this Jesus is our beloved. He is the bishop of our souls, the bread of life, the bridegroom, the bright and morning star, the brightness of the Father's glory. This Jesus, according to Scripture, is our creator, our captain, our counselor, our covenant, our cornerstone, and chiefest among 10,000. This Jesus, Scripture says, is as the dew, fresh every day. This Jesus, according to Scripture, is a deliverer. He is the desire of all nations. Scripture tells us that this Jesus Christ is the elect Emmanuel, and he is eternal life. He is a fountain a fountain of living waters to thirsty souls, a fountain of joy to troubled ones. He's a fountain of life to dying ones. He is the foundation upon which his people, with safety, they build their hopes of heaven. He is the father of eternity, the first and last, 
the firstborn among many and the first begotten from the dead. To his chosen, he is a guide, a governor, a glorious Lord, God, the true God of all, God blessed forever. He is the head of the church, the help, the hope, the husband, the heritage, the habitation of his people. He is the horn of their salvation. And scripture tells us he rides upon the heavens. He is the inheritance. He is the Jehovah of all the armies of God. He is the judge and king of his people. He is their light, their life, their leader, their lawgiver, their atoning lamb, the lily of the valley, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This Jesus, this Jesus who you worship and I worship, scripture tells us that he is the man, Christ Jesus, the master, the mediator, the minister of the true sanctuary, the mighty God of Isaiah and the Messiah of all the prophets. He is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the peace, the prince, the priest, the prophet, the purified, the physician, the power of God. He is the rock, the refuge, the ruler, the refiner, the redeemer, the righteousness, and the resurrection of all humble souls. Jesus, Scripture tells us, is the rose of Sharon. He's the seed of Abraham, the son of God, the son of man, the strength, the shield, the shepherd, the sacrifice, the sanctuary, the salvation, the sanctification, and the son of righteousness for all believers. He is the truth, the teacher, the temple, and the tree of life. Jesus is the way, the well of salvation, the word of God, the wisdom of God, the faithful witness, and the wonderful. And friend, this person, Jesus Christ, is one, but his natures are two. He is both human and divine, finite and infinite, created and uncreated. He was before Abraham. He was before the creation of the world. And your scripture tells us he was born long after Abraham was born. He was dead and is alive forevermore. Jesus has the arm of God and the heart of a brother. None loves like him, none pities like him, and no one saves like him. Is it any wonder then? It is no marvel that children love him. It is no marvel that the saints praise him, the martyrs die for him, the mourning long for him, the humble trust in him, the penitent pour out their tears before him, and the believing lay hold of him. His frown might shake the heavens, yes, but his smile gives life. His presence converts dungeons into palaces. His blood cleanses from all sins. His righteousness is the white robe of the redeemed. And friend, if you would be wise, if you would be safe, if you'd be holy or happy or useful, if you'd be strong and if you would be victorious, look to him. Look to no one else. Walk in him, abide in him, glory in him, and count as lost all things besides him. Look to the wonderful, glorious Jesus Christ. And why do I say all of that? Why does scripture say all of that? Because he is far better. He is far better in this Jesus, our great shepherd, according to Hebrews, this Jesus Christ never changes. This Jesus Christ, with all those glorious names, this Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I have some friends here today, and um, we've had the opportunity over the last seven weeks to look at the reality of Scripture and how much it applies to our lives throughout this book of Hebrews. And what we've learned about Jesus is so powerful, a better mediator, a better, better high priest, a better example, a better shepherd than any shepherd of the world has ever seen. Huh. I'm aware, Lord, that there would be people here today, people online perhaps, people in Lovington, who are in 
in places where there's a canal in front of them. They have no idea how to get over it. There's junk in their lives that don't know how to respond to that. I pray that this great shepherd would enfold all of us, Lord. We want to be individuals who serve you. We want to be a church that serves you. Lord, in the days ahead, you're calling our church to some new things. And we've got all these guests coming uh, starting next week and then into the fall. And we want, to, we want to treat them well. We want to do right by them. And we ask that your grace would be upon our efforts there. But, but before we get to all those efforts and all the things that are in front of us, Lord God, help us to be people who offer worship to you because of your great name. Lord, <laughs> when it's the best day ever, we'll worship you. And then, Lord, in the day when it's just not good at all, we'll offer a sacrifice of praise. Because you are God, and you are great, and we serve you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.